you're out on a Saturday night, you've had a few drinks, you're driving, all of a sudden you're in an accident and somebody dies. The police come and they cuff you. You think to yourself, oh my God, what are the charges going to be? can be a difficult trail to navigate. There are cases that change precedents and there are cases that change America. Some you know and some you don't. Join Brian Cruz and Becky Granado of Cruz and Pascara as they dive into the most notorious cases in America and the ones you may not have heard of. This is Behind the Gavel. Welcome. Welcome to the second year of Behind the Gavel I'm Brian Cruz, and this is Eddie Schwab. I have with me a member of our team here. Pedro Porto is here as well, and we're here to discuss an interesting topic tonight. You're out driving in a vehicle. You get involved in an accident. You've had a few beers to drink. You think you're okay. I mean, you say, you know, I've just had a few beers, but then somebody dies. The police respond to the scene. All of a sudden, you're cuffed. You're thrown on the hood of your car, and you're going to jail. And you're thinking, oh, my God, what are the possible charges going to be? Nobody's told you yet. So I'm here with Eddie Schwab, a specialist. And I want to tell you, he's a fantastic specialist in criminal law and criminal defense. Uh, Eddie, I'm going to ask you and turn it over to you. What kind of charges could come out of this kind of a scene? I mean, this, this happens all the time in Orlando. Uh, you're right, it does. And it sounds like it would be a DUI manslaughter in that instance, where you have a death that is directly or indirectly related to somebody driving under the influence. I see. Well, wow, it sounds like it could be serious. I mean, what what kind of penalties can there be for that? Well, on its own, uh, DUI manslaughter is a second-degree felony, which is punishable by up to 15 years in the state prison uh, and a $10,000 fine. If you are not maxed out for those 15 years, the judge will also be required to put you on some form of probation. You'll have to impound your vehicle. You'll have to undergo drug or alcohol counseling. You'll have a permanent revocation of your driver's license. You'll also have to perform community service. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. DUI manslaughter is a very serious crime in this state. So there is a four-year minimum mandatory sentence out of those 15 years. Ooh. And yeah, and for my experience, most prosecutors are going to start uh, giving you, like, you're going to be looking at 10 to 10 and a half years if the prosecutor wants to make you an offer on a plea deal. Wow. Now explain what a plea deal is because I don't know anything about law. Hi, everybody. It's Phil. I'm back here. What's up? <laughs> What's a plea deal? All right. So the state will file charges alleging that you have committed a crime. Now, if me and I'm the defendant, I don't have to prove my innocence. The state has to prove that I'm guilty. But the simple fact of the matter is, is for as many criminal arrests as there are in the state on any given day, the state cannot take all of those cases to trial. So in an effort to expedite, right, expedite the caseload, hold people accountable for the actions, the prosecutor will offer you a plea deal. And generally, they offer you a much or they depending upon the case, they can offer you a little bit better of a deal than you would find if you go to trial and lost. And in some cases, they'll offer you a much better deal to take responsibility immediately. Well, you know, although we don't encourage, of course, drinking and driving, uh, what are some of the things our clients should know or potential clients should know 
to do at the scene or not to do at the scene, particularly when they're dealing with the police? Well, you know, it's hard because everybody's been taught or most people have been taught, you know, be cooperative with law enforcement. They're there to help you. Well, in this instance, they're not there to help you. They're there to investigate a crime. Mm. And everything they're doing is they're gathering evidence. They're gathering pieces of the puzzle to put together to show that you committed, in this instance, a DUI manslaughter. But it's no different really than any other DUI when you're pulled over. If they want you to walk the line, uh, if they want you to undertake any of those field sobriety exams that you see on TV, I would tell you exactly, like <laughs> lay your head back, touch your nose, stand on one foot, tell us what the alphabet is. It almost feels like it's impossible to pass any of those tests when you, they put you out there. What well, actually is a DUI though? Like what constitutes a DUI? Everybody thinks that is drinking, right? But it's not, you could be- It, it can be drugs. It doesn't have yeah. to be uh, strictly alcohol. Uh, for a DUI, the state has to prove certain actions. Number one, that you are in actual physical control of a vehicle on the roads of the state of Florida. Mm. Uh, they have to show that you were impaired somehow, and they can do that one of three ways. Either a breath test, which everybody knows you blow into the breathalyzer. Another way is having your blood drawn, and they get a blood alcohol reading that way. Or the final way is what we call having your normal faculties impaired. So somebody actually looking drunk, and we all know what that looks like. Yeah, yeah. The state can attempt to prove it without any scientific evidence by having the cop come in and say, he appeared drunk based on my training and experience and my person, you know, I've lived a life and drank beer. Uh, a lot of times now with body cameras and in dash cameras, you get to watch the people actually perform uh, all of these field sobriety exams. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> so that's really why <laughs> it's on really, YouTube. you shouldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, you really shouldn't do it because they're videoing you right at the scene. Yes. I think wow. everyone's got caught uh, watching YouTube videos from field sobriety tests for like two hours for yeah. no reason. Absolutely. <laughs> I've gone down that rabbit hole too. But on balance, it's better not to have evidence that you were drunk uh, or high. Okay, I got you. Even so if, if you're you like know... super confident that you can pass this test, you're like, I didn't drink at all today. I know I can pass this test. Well, I can't tell you what, and if in that situation, sorry, I went too far from the mic. Um, if you know, it's always a, it's a judgment call. If you think that, or if you know you haven't had a drink, why is the officer telling you to get out? If you haven't been smoking or you haven't been using any drugs that are impairing your functions, yeah, I mean, take the tests all day, and you have nothing to worry about. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so let's break it down to the actual acronym. The D is for driving, right? right. So I, I've seen people, and I'm, I know people who personally have gotten DUIs where they've not been driving. So can you break down a couple of instances? What I mean by that, they've been sleeping in a car or um, they've not driving a vehicle. They're either on a bicycle or, or other things like that. So can you kind of break down, uh, not the law, but how someone can get a DUI if they're not actually operating a vehicle? Sure, I'll do that by breaking down the law. Okay. <laughs> so, um, as I said before, the first thing the state needs to prove is that you're in actual physical control of a vehicle. And now, if if it were the statute about actual, um, excuse me, a BUI, boating under the influence, they would <laughs> have to show that you're in actual physical control of the boat. But anyways, back to the car. You, you're right. The car doesn't have to be on. You don't have to be going down the road. You can be asleep in the front seat. But if the keys are in your pocket, if the keys are in the ignition, if the keys are easily accessible, mm. the courts here in Florida have construed that as you are under actual physical control of the vehicle. 
So it is a misconception a bit wow. that you have to actually be driving down the road. There have been cases where people have been sleeping inside their car and they take their keys and leave them on their windshield and, you know, sleep it off on the side of the road. Yeah. A DUI was found to lie in that situation because the court said all you had to do was reach out of the window, grab the keys off your windshield, and you're good to go. You can start your car uh, and drive it down the road. Now, okay, so as a criminal defense attorney, how do you combat that? Because that sounds ludicrous, for real. Like, does, to me, that sounds, that sounds pretty ridiculous. It is. It is totally ridiculous. Um, you're not going to beat it on something like that. That's a fact that you, you can try and take that to the jury and say, hey, he wasn't in actual physical control of the vehicle. And then you would be hoping a jury would agree with you. But you're not going to beat the case on a legal technicality. Mm. Uh, and mostly in DUIs, your best defenses, they come from what we call legal technicalities. The cop had no reason to pull you over. So it was an improper stop. Gotcha. There was an improper administration of the field sobriety exams. Therefore, if they were improperly administered, the results are inadmissible. So the officer won't be able to say he couldn't walk the line. He couldn't tell us what the alphabet was. Uh, other times there are different parts of the DUI investigation, like the breath test, mm -hmm. where you go to the jail and blow into the breathalyzer. If the machine is not um, maintained properly and done within the statutes of Florida. Oh, false positive? Well, you could false positives or even that just the machine is not routinely updated and maintained to make sure it gives reliable results you would ask the court to suppress or make the results of a blood test or a breath test inadmissible. Very rarely do, I don't want to say very rarely, but my personal belief is your best defenses to DUI exist pre-trial. Once you get to trial, anything can happen when you have a group of seven people basically telling us yeah. what happened the night of the arrest. Wow. Now, uh, connecting that a little bit to PI, Brian, um, from someone who doesn't know all these laws and everything, if I'm driving and, you know, I had three or four beers and I feel okay, but I was hit, does that impact me at all when it comes to my insurance company and everything? Well, the, the issue is going to be um, multiple things. It's not going to uh, impact you with your insurance company. It'll impact you with your claim because the question is, were you uh, intoxicated enough that you did not take evasive action would be one area of inquiry by the defense attorney, the insurance defense attorney. So like if you got hurt and somebody hit you, but you'd been drinking, it doesn't bar your claim unless uh, uh, you're over 50% responsible than it would. Mm -hmm. So if you um, get into who ran the red light and they, they find that you're 60% at fault, and you could lose and get nothing. So, so now, what about coming back to DUI manslaughter? What about if I'm driving, had a couple beers, someone hits me, and someone in my car passes away? Ooh. Well, then what happens is the estate or the person in your car would be able to make a claim back against the person that hit you, and they were at fault. So then they would also have what's known in Florida uh, as punitive damages as well. Usually you think of compensatory damages, pain and suffering, medical bills, loss of ability, enjoy life. Those are called compensatory. Punitive is to punish. And so there would be a separate lawsuit, and not only for the compensatory damages, but a third phase of the lawsuit is a better way to put it, 
where you go for punitive damages against that person. And they would also, if you had uninsured motorist coverage, they would be able to make a claim as a passenger in your vehicle for uninsured motorist coverage. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is all so interesting because, I mean, DUIs, everyone knows there's so many bad consequences to that. Then you add the word manslaughter to it. Yeah. You don't think about that too much. Well, and it's not, uh, you know, you say add the word manslaughter to it. There's also a provision in the law in Florida that if your crash directly or indirectly caused a death and you knew or should have known there was a crash and you did not stop to render aid to the people, your crime increases from a first, a second degree felony to a first degree oh. felony, which is then the maximum penalty is 30 years. Wow. Wait, wow. Wait, a, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Wow. I was, I was adjusting the camera here. So you just said, <laughs> repeat that. I'm so sorry. Because yeah. <laughs> So if there's a DUI manslaughter, uh-huh. okay, and the person who, the defendant, he just takes off from the scene. Okay, so a hit right? and run. Right. right, a hit and run. And the facts of that hit and run, or the defendant knew or he should have known that there was a deadly crash and that defendant did not stop to give his information and to render aid to those injured, mm. the penalty goes from a second-degree felony up to a first-degree felony. And by the way, Phil, we had the case that led to that law getting passed, and uh, we represented the family yeah. where the little girl was hit and left in the roadway to die oh. in the middle of the night on the, on the sidewalk. And uh, the, the, actually, it was a UCF college student, left the scene, went home and actually hid her vehicle for days and ultimately they were found. And so when this happened, uh, there was a big outcry here in Orlando and they, uh, her name was Roman and we um, were part and instrumental in with the mother in passing the law that if you have a hit and run and there's a death involved, there are increased penalties. Sorry about that, but you know, it was That's the right it thing. Be, it was yeah. the right thing to do. Now, Eddie, when you say your case goes from a second degree felony to a first degree felony, what are like the main differences between a first and second degree felony? Primarily how much time you would spend in prison. Second degree felony, maximum time you could spend in prison would be 15 years. That also is the maximum amount of time you could be on probation. A first degree felony has a maximum penalty of 30 years in prison. Oh, so big difference. Is big there difference. a minimum mandatory increase? No, the min-man still sticks at four years. Okay. But as I said, on a second degree felony on these DUI mans, the prosecutors are generally starting out trying to get you for 10, 10 and a half years. On a first degree felony they're going to be starting out higher. I'm probably guessing in the 15 to 16 year range. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. So I don't know anything about DUIs besides what you just told me. Can I get a DUI on a bicycle? You can get a DUI on a bicycle. Can I get a DUI on a horse? You cannot get a DUI on a horse. Not <laughs> uh, go-kart, golf cart, you know, like in the villages. Yes. Golf cart. Yes, absolutely. There's plenty of DUIs on golf carts. Oh, I'm sure. So the state of Florida, they get to define. Tesla. Yeah, of course. Autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. You're in actual physical control of the vehicle. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. Has anybody ever tested that? Because isn't the autopilot in control? But who's telling the autopilot what to do? You're the one who, and it's this is a great argument, but I do think it ultimately would be a failing argument because you're the one, just like you're the one who gets in the car and turns it on, you're the one who gets in the car and chooses to put it on autopilot. You're also the one that has the ability to disengage the autopilot at any time. You're the one making the decisions. Wow, so the, so the keys argument wouldn't even work with that too because they don't even have keys. Yeah. <laughs> 
But the safe floor gets to define what a vehicle is in any situation. Sometimes a vehicle can mean more than just what we think of as a car. I wonder if there could be a challenge with the Tesla. And I'm just thinking out of the box right now because the statute never really contemplated self-driving vehicles. I mean, has there been like a meaningful case recently where someone got a DUI with the Tesla on autopilot? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. So it's like fertile ground. I mean, yeah. we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure, but this is Florida. We have a very conservative <laughs> court there. I don't think they're going to be finding in favor of criminal I think the autopilot's actually like, like not perfected yet as well. So because well, so here's the thing. Now, it's not here in Florida yet, but like in California and Arizona and a lot of places, Uber has self-driving cars. Yep. Right. A lot of people who use Uber come from the bars at night. What would justify good question? Ooh. Even getting pulled over. So good question. Yeah. You're talking about a driverless car. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen yeah. those videos. It's in like all 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 around the West Coast. Right. It's like Uber, but so, no driver. Yeah, yeah they'll right. have a Tesla or, yeah. or something come pick you up. So in that instance, I mean, if you're the passenger, I wouldn't be cons- I wouldn't be concerned about anything. It's no different as if Pedro or Brian are driving drunk and I'm sitting in the front seat with them. I'm not in actual physical control of the vehicle. So it's not my concern. So if somebody gets picked up in a driverless car, they're just a passenger. Gotcha. And then at that point, the state couldn't prove that the person, at least in the car, was in actual physical control and under the influence in some way, shape, or form. So I'm kind of getting that the whole self-driving car is just a big gray area right now. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah, a little bit. I'm just wondering how a cop would even pull over a self-driving car. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they would they would know it's self driving until <laughs> they put it over. Look, I bet you could go online and easily find videos of people riding with officers and officers following the same car for maybe a mile or two and picking out every time they could have pulled somebody over for a traffic violation, for an equipment violation on the car, for a possible criminal investigation. If you drive a car more than five minutes down the road there's a good chance a cop, you do something that would give the cop probable cause to pull you over. I just read this. It was yesterday, but I forgot what state this was. It wasn't in the state of Florida. So I know you know Florida law, but so uh, I did read that um, some state now is not allowing police to pull over people for stuff like that. So like broken taillights or a tag is, is, is bad or, um, something hanging from their windshield, stuff like that. Do you feel like that's going to come to Florida? Because they're saying, I think that what they were saying was that they use those as tactics to get other things. Yeah, they're fake. They're fake uh, pullovers. Because yeah. I mean, it's very simple. Here's the example I always use in my neighborhood. Me driving my BMW. Mm-hmm. When I come up to a stop sign and I roll past that stop bar a foot or two, mm-hmm. especially if I'm making a right hand turn and I'm trying to look to the left, a cop could pull me over. Because I've gone past the stop bar. Do you think that's ever happened to me in my life? Hell no. Not no. once. Not even close. And I've had plenty of cops behind me in that situation. Now, if I'm like poor or I look like I'm poor, I'm driving in a poor area of town with a crappy car. Mm-hmm. A cop will use that as a reason to pull you over. And probably because he has a hunch that maybe you don't have a driver's license. He wants to search your car because he thinks there might be drugs in there or that you might have a warrant out. Now, to answer your question, though, do I think Florida's going to do away with those laws? No, not at all. No, <laughs> not at all. And we do have those laws, things that like from hanging from your uh, rear view mirror, yeah. you know, that uh, supposedly obfuscates your view or a tag like that 
can't be seen from 50 feet back now. Florida's not going to do away with those yeah, laws. But, but so as a criminal defense lawyer, though, they co- cops use those phishing tactics to find other things, though. So, like, you know, let's say it happens to me, right? I'm not saying it, it has. I'm just saying let's say it happens to me. Let's say I have something dangling. I have a cruising pisker of air freshener hanging from my <laughs> uh, my rear view. Yeah. A cop pulls me over. Technically, I mean, doesn't imply consent mean they can search me or... In the situation you're talking about, nobody has ever uh, consented to be searched ahead of time. Yeah, you should never consent for the if the cop to search your vehicle. And that's uh, coming from a former prosecutor, right? Uh, yeah, I, w- <laughs> I was a prosecutor for a couple of years and way back in the dark ages. But, you know, if uh, it depends on where you are, too. Um, but I would never consent to someone searching my vehicle i think it's difficult because especially growing up you always hear to like like you said before comply with the police you know if you help them they're going to help you but now you hear so many stories of people incriminating themselves that's almost hard to know you know what to do when the police stops you and they make these requests to see my line but you want to help yeah you do and let me give you an example you're driving your mother's car for example and she's had her purse in the back of the trunk because she was shopping and in that purse was a, a packet of uh, Valiums because she's a little stressed out of you being a bad kid. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> so, yeah. so those fall out and they're in the trunk and you're riding down the road and you go past the stop bar and they pull you over and you give consent. The purse is gone, but the bottle is in the back and, you know, the, they then have you give them consent to look for it and they find it and then they wonder whether or not you know, you were using those or mm-hmm. transporting those. Um, let's say the prescription bottle is kind of worn out a little bit and so the name's not clear. Then you've got a, a real problem because you've got a controlled substance. What would that be? What would the charge be then, Eddie? Uh, depending upon what it is and how many of you have it, you're starting off at a third-degree felony for possession of controlled substance. That's punishable up to five years in prison. Wow. So even though you're not using them, they're your mother's pills, right. and ultimately she could come down and tell them, but that doesn't mean they won't drop the charges mm-hmm. and you'll have these third degree felony charges against you. So what I'm hearing is it's always better to call your attorney first before <laughs> you do anything. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 amendment is that? Is that the fourth amendment? Which one? The, the right to call an attorney? No, no, the uh, illegal search and seizure. Okay, oh. so the federal amendment, it's the fourth amendment. Yeah. We also have an analog in the state of Florida's constitution. I believe it's article one, section 12. Look at that knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say, don't quote me on that. But literally <laughs> our our version of the fourth amendment is construed uh, in completely and totally with how the federal fourth amendment is construed. So if the Florida Supreme Court says or excuse me, if the United States Supreme Court says in this situation the cops can search or in this situation the cops cannot search, that automatically becomes Florida law. Gotcha. Now, a question I have for you, Eddie. I've heard a lot in movies. What is the difference between DUI and DWI? Nothing. Nothing is the same thing? Yeah. Okay. And just certain states title their crimes different ways. Okay. Okay. Man, I think we got a lot of information that we had today for, you know, you guys coming back. Uh, first time season two on camera season two we did it i think this has been uh, incredibly fun so brian where can actually people find you guys well we're you know we're here on edgewater drive at Cruz and pascara eddie schwab is here and uh we're here to help in any way we can uh, uh 1137 edgewater drive also you can just pick up the phone and call us at 407-841-0200 it's a free phone call 
you can call and chat with us for a few minutes. Then we can tell you whether you should come in and, and sign up with us or not. And um, we're always willing to help people if we can. And it's, I just put BrianCruz.com. That's probably the easiest way they can type in on the website, right? Right. Because some people don't know how to spell Piscara, which is like me. I don't know how to spell <laughs> Piscara. Well, that is a tough name. Well, uh, most of the people spell Brian wrong, too. Yeah. Yeah. B-R-Y-A-N. Yeah, B-R-Y-N-C-R-E-W-S.com, yes. Right. Okay, guys. Well, stick around for a preview for the next episode of Behind the Gavel, and we will catch you later. Yay! Thank you for listening to Behind the Gavel. Join the discussion on social media at Behind the Gavel. Again, that's Behind the Gavel, all one word. Tune in after the break for a preview of the next episode of Behind the Gavel. Hi, this is Brian Cruz of Cruz and Pascara. If you're in an automobile accident and you're injured, listen up. First, go to the hospital. Next, call your lawyer. Why? Because you need advice. Call Cruz and Pascara, your I-4 lawyer, 407-841-0200. 407-841-0200. Cruz and Pascara, your I-4 lawyer.